0: This is Erica. We are um, joined by the Mr. Richard Fertig for the STRU podcast. Hello, hello.
1: Hello, hello. You know, you introduced me the other day as the handsome Richard Fertig, and that just felt better.
0: The handsome and very charming, I believe I said.
1: Thank you. And the beautiful Erica Bossi, the (laughs) hostess with the mostess. Thanks for hosting us.
0: Yes, yes, truly my pleasure. Thanks for being here.
1: The least I could do.
0: <laughs> um, so I kind of want to share a funny, funny story from our morning. Well yeah from our morning about kind of what's going on with us lately. Ready for it?
1: I don't know but you sure <laughs> seem to think it's hilarious. I can't wait.
0: Well I, I mean not so much hilarious but I just thought it was. Um, so you know we're back here. We're in Jackson. Um, I think we're both very much enjoying you know being home and um very much participating in this winter wonderland and along with being home we've got the dogs back and um it's been a little bit tumultuous the first you know little bit being home with them because uh the oldest of the two dogs has been having accidents in the house and we haven't been able to figure out why and I mean, you thought that he was failing, um, and that basically this was the beginning of the end, and so you um, advised me to take him to the vet to see what was going on, and because he's house trained, he's a very good boy, but uh, he's house trained, and so we took him to the vet. It's been a pretty penny doing, getting some tests and getting an exam and so on and so forth. And lo and behold, the test results came back this morning, and.
1: He's miraculously healthy. Ah! (laughs) Every test is miraculous. No crystalline in the kidneys, no issues, nothing. I mean it's like Couldn't have come back back any better, right? Right. Picture of good health. Right. Aging gracefully.
0: Right. So so what is it? How come he's how come he's having the issues that he is?
1: So Here's the way I see it, and and I've now confirmed, we have, (laughs) we figured this out. We did a little detective work and we figured it out. So as many of you know, uh, Eric and I traveled about 200 days uh, in 2019 and the dogs were boarded and we have a really great facility and a really great person. Thank you, Julie. She has a 12 acre working farm here in Wyoming. And so Guapo, who is the uh, Portuguese water dog, he's about 11 years old, 10 and a half, 11 um and my homeboy beau, who's about a year and a half old, uh, French bulldog, has spent a lot of time out there, and they're actually like part of the working dog, you know, working farm working dog environment. They're out there you know, doing whatever they do with the cattle and the hay and the sheep dogs. and you know, they're just all about it. They love it. Right. Um, but it turns out I reached out to Julie and said to her, you know, has Guapo been having accidents? And I should also say this was happening before we left. Yes. Right. Right before we left, we had a sudden onset. We didn't have time to go figure this out at the vet, and there was a lot of debate. Right. Erica, you know, was certain that Bo, the French Bulldog, was marking his territory. Right. And it was a very plausible argument. I mean, one because that because he's I, still
0: intact. Yes. Right. One
1: that I certainly had to entertain, but I knew better. I knew that it wasn't Bo. <laughs> um I knew it was guapo mm. and um Eric and I had a lot of debate about it ultimately you know she persisted and kept telling me about the the marking tendencies and then we turned to Julie who knows the dogs really well too and she said yeah bo marks everywhere and he's intact and right. especially when there's other dogs and males or when he's new in an area he's going to mark and so That was sort of what uh, some of the best minds around the canine pecks of mine. (laughs) Everybody agreed, it was consensus. Um, I stood alone and apart and figured that didn't make a lot of sense to me, but you know, what do I know? I'm just some, you know, dumb old male. We're dealing with bright minds here. So it turns out, um, I contacted Julie again and said, hey, it's happening again. We're taking Guapo to the vet. And um, we're really concerned. I mean, maybe there's something physically wrong with him because after a decade of being house trained, he's having accidents like almost every day. um, And we never catch him. And then that was like sort of the first thing we realized. He was always having it behind closed doors. And that's how we also, you know, put it down to know with certainty Mm -hmm. that it was Guapo behind closed doors because I started to detect a funny pattern. The funny pattern was Guapo's a very slow eater. He's a very finicky eater. And so we like to give him his privacy and we give him like a whole bedroom suite and we close the door. (laughs) Bo is much more aggressive and he'll eat anything anywhere in front of anybody. He doesn't care. You could be like pulling his leg and he's not going to stop eating. He's just, he's food driven. Right. Um, So anyway, in order to let Guapo take his time and not have Bo come eat his food. We've been separating them at mealtime, and um, Guapo was always behind closed doors, and it took us a little while to put this all together, but we would go in to retrieve Guapo's food and let him out, and you know maybe later in the afternoon or the next evening or whatever, we'd realize that he had wet a little bit of the carpet, Right. and um, we never caught him, and we never saw it, we never actually associated it with the food, but Erica went to go do some Gym stuff or something, and I, I fed Guapo alone, and I put him behind the closed door, and I came back, and that's when I realized that he was having these accidents at mealtime. Right. Every like mealtime, he was having these accidents, and so once we realized that, Erica did you know the smart thing in in her mind and started joining Guapo <laughs> at mealtime in in the closed room, and I was like, well, and lo and
0: behold. He stopped having accidents at mealtime. He time. stopped
1: having accidents. Right. And so then I, when I reached out to Julie and said, we're really concerned and we figured out that it's happening at mealtime, um, that's when Julie shared with me that, you know, Guapo's a finicky eater and she used to put him in uh, closed quarters so that he could take his time and she would sit with him while he ate. And so Guapo sort of is used to beautiful female company when he's eating, and if there is no beautiful female company, he's going to let us know that he's not happy about this. And so he started literally having accidents at mealtime when he was alone, and every time when he's not alone, there's no problem, there's no incident, and he doesn't have to, like, relieve himself. Right. So, you know, basically... The two the two women <laughs> helping with the care and maintenance of, of my dogs, my pets, have trained them inadvertently to... Oh, now they're speaking, they hear themselves, you know, being spoken of. Right. Um, they uh, inadvertently trained Guapo that, you know, he's entitled to beautiful female company while he eats and dines and to take his time and enjoy it and, you know... And uh, he's just doing what na- comes natural to him. When he when he doesn't have that, he protests. Right. Well, you so, can relate. I can completely relate. I mean, although you don't I don't. Wet yourself. Right. I don't. I don't really <laughs> wet myself, but I'll protest. You know. <laughs> but uh, in any event, right. the good news is we uh, we know with certainty that he's extremely healthy for a dog right. of his age. <laughs> There's no physical issues whatsoever. He's been checked out. Uh, thoroughly yeah. we've also supported the local veterinary economy here so like, we're happy to participate in that endeavor um, right. keep them flush and, and going that's an important service that they provide uh, and and then you know for a moment we just are going to celebrate that um, Beau, the French Bulldog who is like being blamed by everybody for everything because he's younger and handsome and intact and all of these things is actually completely innocent. So I would like you, Erica, now, to the entire podcast audience, to apologize to my homeboy Bo. <laughs> well,
0: I I am I am very sorry, Bo. Um, you know I just <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, Bo. You are a good boy. You have not been going potty in the house, and I'm so glad that we got to the bottom of who and why.
1: Yeah, so I'll relay to Bo a little later (laughs) your sentiments, and we'll get back to. I think Bo Bo and I are okay. No, I know you're okay, but I mean, it's because he doesn't comprehend how much you've been like, you know, maligning him and slandering him behind his back. You know, he's kind of, he's in, he doesn't comprehend. But nonetheless, um, I'm just glad we got to the bottom of it. It Totally. I'm so relieved. It was one of those things, hey, guapo, shh. Um, Now he's acting up. Maybe he needs, like, some female (laughs) company to just, like, sit by him or something. In any event, um, I think it's just really nice to know that he's super healthy and uh, all of this stuff is just uh, behavioral as opposed to, like, physical. Right. And, um... I don't know. Let's uh, let's uh, go on. So for any of you that are dog lovers, just realize that sometimes you're training unintended consequences, and it could be the same thing, you know, right. with children. Like even though you're doing what you think is best and to satisfy something, uh, oftentimes there's a consequence or an adverse response or reaction, unintended. Um, right. I
0: mean, now what have I done? But signed up to join Guapo for. every meal exactly right
1: um and and now he's like acting up and he hears us talking about him and so it should be interesting right anyway
0: Yes. onward
1: and upward all is good here in the canine world in jackson (laughs) they're very happy very pleased they love the fact that we're back yes and as much as they love being uh, on the farm Mm -hmm. and doing the working dog stuff i can also tell you they love being comfortable and warm and indoors and pampered and you know so on and so forth and Absolutely. it's great to be with them, you know dogs are really, really sweet animals and bring a lot of joy to to my life and our life and for sure it's a, for sure it's a pleasure and a privilege to have them yeah and uh it was the best use of my money to just <laughs> confirm that Guapo's in perfect standing
0: i help-wise. I couldn't agree more I could not agree more yeah, thank you for that thanks for getting on board. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and so like, look, you know, when when you go sit with him tonight at dinner,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't
1: know, I'll do something a little more productive, perhaps.
0: Right, right, right. Um, Well, speaking of which, so we, for the first time, uh, while we were gone, Airbnb'd our primary residence. And um, did you have any concerns with that at all? I mean, I certainly that was that was new to me.
1: Yeah, you were an anti. <laughs> you were just like no.
0: Right. Yeah, I'll admit to that. That was um, it. It definitely took me a minute to to get on board with that and to wrap my mind around like what that looked like and the idea of that and um, and also it it kind of um, I wondered if it took you know for for me I think. You know, home is very much like safe space. It's the sanctuary. It's where you come to, um, you know, surround yourself with love and recharge and reboot and relax. And, you know, it's where you can walk around the house in, you know, sweatpants and hair in a ponytail and no makeup and, you know, eat over the sink or whatever. You just, you know, I think home is just different and so the idea of really truly sharing that sanctuary that safe space with people we didn't know um was a concept that uh yeah took me a minute to wrap my mind around
1: yeah um I didn't really have any concerns at all (laughs) (laughs) I I know my biggest my biggest concern was just uh personal effects and, and art and right. things that had not only real economic value but also um, uh, sentimental. personal sentimental value and just protecting those and we came up with a great solution but so right. like, once my once the few items that I really cared about in this dwelling
0: mm-hmm.
1: were protected I wasn't particularly concerned with the dwelling itself or the right. furniture or people coming into the place or using it and I think that the uh, way that I got you a little bit more comfortable with it was just saying that it's really no different than when we go stay in other people's airbnbs it's us visiting their home right and we take good care of it we do nothing wrong with it and we spent 200 days in the last year uh in airbnbs and in hotels and you know we would have loved to stay at this place for a few nights or longer and we treat it well with respect and at the price point that we charge and the experience that we have screening guests and so on and so forth. Um, I didn't really see any reason uh, to keep it vacant and not share it right. with others coming to visit the area. It's a great location. It's a great uh, property. Really uh, it is. would enhance people's experience and create memories. And so, like I was all about that. Right. And then just purely from a financial perspective, you know, it's um it's a pretty expensive asset that we have here, and there's a lot of expenses that continue. You know, I have a mortgage, there's a HOA payment, there's utilities. And if we know we're going to be on the road for, in that particular case was about nine months. And it also will be, by the way, in 2020, when ski season is over here. We're going to do a road trip and identify a bunch of different, um, 1031 replacement properties consistent with my future proof methodology and framework to find what I call cash engines Mm -hmm. that, um, will fuel a lot of growth over the next 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna do an extended road trip and then we're gonna head out to the OBX where We're going to uh, be very hands-on, not only in the finishing of the construction and the finished detail and all of those things about, you know, like at what height do we want the sconce or whatever. I'm sure there's a million things that will come up. Right. We're going to be hands-on. We're also going to be hands-on throughout the entire summer as we open and operate and um, welcome people to that community. So, totally. um, And then I'm really excited to go back down to Nosara. So the way that we look at 2020 is similar to 2019 is we're really here for the ski season. Right. And consequently, this big asset with all these expenses that would be a great thing to share for with people um, is almost underutilized. And so, like, it makes all the sense in the world to not only have our expenses minimized, but the reality of it is is our expenses went away. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, our asset generated income for us. You know, it was cash flow positive mm-hmm. such that it helped offset or pay for our entire travel, right? So, right. like, a lot of people... That don't know uh, a lot about me, but maybe are Facebook friends with me or whatever. Like, wow, this guy's, you know, really blowing a ton of money. and He's traveling the world, and he's this and he's that, and he's on planes and he's staying in hotels. And how's he doing all this? And the reality of it is, is well, I put my primary place on, and that's covered in making some cash, and it's offsetting all of this travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, not dollar for dollar, but you know, order of magnitude, it was a great do right. because you know Jackson Hole in prime summer season commands a huge premium, right? and so um, from a purely economic perspective, we got paid to do it. We got paid handsomely to do it, and it made all the economic sense in the world. Um, So that's sort of the debate that we had. Do we do it, and how do we do it? And I think the how do we do it is what ultimately got both of us really comfortable, right? And so Erica has a very strong relationship with a local lady here who... Uh, did a terrific job, and we touched on this in some of the YouTube videos before, you know, coming and analyzing where everything is and taking photos and documenting it and then figuring out, you know, we pointed out, I want these photos protected, I want this piece of art protected, I want this sculpture, uh, remove these pots and pans, like whatever it was that we did, that was a year ago when we did it, um, well not, I guess nine months ago, Um, she took copious notes and figured out a game plan and and, uh, protected everything, went out and bought dozens of protective bins and padded cushions and this and that and the other and basically just walked through our property, took everything of personal value and sentimental value and protected it safely, got an extra storage unit and um, came up with a system to pack us up. And then the beautiful thing was... um, we knew when we were coming back, and right. so we told her we were coming back, and she basically did the exact thing in the opposite and put everything back. So when we walked in the door, it was like we were back home and nothing changed. Right. Right? Right. Um, and the kind of interesting thing was we got a booking request. We, were, we didn't know exactly when we were coming back. I'm going to say it was like we thought we was going to come back around December 15th or so. We got a booking request, which was for December... 15th through the 17th or 18th, or something right. like that. Right. And Eric and I had the conversation, which was do we take it or should we just come back? What are we going to do? And we were like, well, you know, the money's good, so why don't we just um, take that reservation? It'll help pay for. Uh, the unpacking of everything back in and mm-hmm. so we just opportunistically took an extra two or three day vacation right. it was really hard for us we stayed at the Fountain Blue in Miami so <laughs> it was about 80 degrees and sunny and we were working out and sitting by the pool and doing all sorts of things that we wanted to do anyway mm-hmm. and again we basically got paid to do that and also helped pay for um, Peyton to come in and move us back in and so right. like these are the kind of decisions that we have the flexibility uh, to decide and I think it worked out really well.
0: It did. It absolutely did.
1: Um, I couldn't agree
0: more. It, um, I was incredibly grateful that uh, Peyton did, you know, such a beautiful job um, and was so well organized. I mean, I really, she took all of the fear and anxiety out of it, um, because I knew everything was organized and protected, put away. Um, I mean, I can't think of a single thing, um that literally I couldn't find, you know, or that, or if I couldn't find it, she could tell me where it was, you know, and, um, I just really felt like we were, we were in great hands and she was incredibly respectful and trustworthy and organized and everything that I would want her to be in, uh, for that job. And, um, and it was, it was awesome. It was as though we never left when we came home. I mean, everything was right where it should be and it was awesome. And um, as cheesy as it sounds, it also taught me that, you know, home is not necessarily four walls. You know, it can be, you know, two two eyes and a heartbeat. And so, you know, home is where you are. And if that's here, then, you know, it's here. And if that's in the OBX or in OSARA or wherever, you know, I mean,
1: you are home. Oh, thank you, sweetie. And you're home, too. And, um, you know, we're not going to put you for rent on Airbnb. <laughs> you might be home, but not, not for rent, you know? Thank you. That, oh, my gosh. You
0: know? You, is, it, is it my birthday? What a gift.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but we can earmark this forward for your birthday. <laughs> I gave it to you on the podcast. Right. Anyway, right. I think Amazing. it worked out uh, really, really well. Yeah. and. and Last time was the first time, so we just learned from it. Now Peyton will execute again yep. when we leave uh, at the end of ski season and she'll get better at it and we'll get better at it and the cost yeah. will come down and the variability where we you know she didn't know where to put this back right whatever like it'll it'll just continue to improve. but that's the specific reason why I only looked and continue to only look to buy real estate. Right that's legally allowed to be short-term rented because the flexibility that that affords us is amazing. So if we lived in this as our primary home, but it was uh, not legally short-term rentable, we wouldn't be able to put this for a long-term tenant. They would want a year. We only had nine months. Um, And the income would have been less and it Mm -hmm. may not be worth it. And so my primary asset is actually acting as a liability as I travel the world because it's like a, uh, an anchor. It's pulling me down. All those costs are actually right. really, really uh, expensive and hurtful and in the back of my mind and it seems wasteful and I don't really want to go travel. I've got this home and it's so expensive. I've got to maintain right. it. But the fact that it was in the short-term rental market you know, allowed us to go fishing and see. And by the way, we, nice. we charged a premium for this place. This is maybe one of the nicest uh, apartments in Airbnb in Jackson Hole. And so Agreed. we went for the very high end and charged a premium for it and got paid for it and proved that there was a market for it. And like that flexibility, just the fact that it's legally allowed right. to be short-term rented is a premium that this location should collect. But we are in the early stages of this disruption on Airbnb where single-family homes still don't carry the proper valuation for being able to be short-term rented. So price per square foot, we're going to use an easy number, a a short-term rentable property could still sell at $1,000 a square foot, and that might match a property that doesn't allow short-term renting that's also $1,000 a square foot. It's a very strong belief of mine and prediction of mine that short-term rental-allowed properties will trade at a premium. They are worth more because it affords people like you and I the flexibility and the income-gathering potential that a long-term rental doesn't. And so therefore, just pure economic sense, right, like pure academic theory would say people would pay more For that flexibility, people would pay more for the fact that it could generate income. People would pay more for the fact that we have rights that other people don't have. That's just common sense. Yet, in the short-term rental single-family home market today, nobody takes any of that into account. What does get taken into account are the comps, and the comps go by price per square foot, and it doesn't matter about any of those other short-term rental options or not. Right, that will change. Mark my words. It's here on the podcast, Charles. You can find it when you need it, friends.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and I mean, there's a couple of different things as well. So, I'm sorry,
1: can I just say one more thing? uh, So, basically what that means is anybody who's listening to this that's going out and buying real estate to short-term rent, as long as it's done in the correct locations and it's legal, you are basically building a portfolio of undervalued assets that at some point, there will be price appreciation because the value that I've just uh, described will be discovered and that will become the norm. And all we have to do, as I taught in uh, Nashville and Miami, is take a look at... I always like to have these theories and then find like real-life examples of them to support right. them so that people, the audience, the listeners, the viewers uh, understand that it's not just like in my mind. There's, you know...
0: Proof in the pudding.
1: Proof in the pudding. There's logic. And so all one has to do is go back and take a look at any market like New York City where there's condominiums and co-ops. Co-ops are basically private groups and memberships. You don't actually own the location itself. You're just like a member of the cooperative and you have a certain number of shares. And in exchange for those shares that you own, you also like reside in a certain unit. Right. But you don't actually own that unit. Um, And the challenge with co-ops is that the co-op board, and it's really kind of counterintuitive in 2020 that this still exists, but the co-op board has all the power in the world to uh, grant somebody the ability to join the co-op or exclude them. And they can exclude them for any reason or no reason at all. It can be discriminatory. It could be a childhood grudge. Um, There's a funny story about people that have been excluded from uh, joining co-ops. A lot of very famous people get... uh, Excluded from the ability to buy in co-ops because people don't want paparazzi around. So somebody like a a Madonna, for instance, has been turned down by co-op boards. And you think, wait, she's got plenty of money and she'd be a great neighbor. But, you know, there could be fans down in the lobby and, like, that's a nuisance, and so she gets rejected. Other people that I know uh, have had their board's approval rejected, and they had letters of reference from, like, the mayor of New York City, and they had multiples more than the apartment, and I don't know who they pissed off or what they said or what they did but like they get rejected so a co-op is a very uh... challenging thing to get approved by and it's whimsical and there's no rules and so when i sold a co-op i was really worried about will the buyer get approved by the board It was a concern of mine it wasn't a layup Whereas in a condo, you own the unit, there is no board, as long as you can afford it, whether with a mortgage or not, like you can just buy that piece of property and nobody has any other say. So consequently, the fact that a co-op has restrictions and this uncertain process means that the price per square foot trades at a discount of about 10 to 20 percent versus a condo where any buyer or seller can transact, that's at arm's length. As long as they can afford it, you can do it. People pay a premium for that because Mm -hmm. like, there's certainty. As long as somebody's willing to buy it for that, I could sell it. As long as I'm able to buy that, I can buy it. And so consequently, in the New York City market, ask any broker, Google it, do whatever kind of research you want, it's a proven fact. Co-ops trade at a discount to condos. Bringing this full circle back to short-term rentals, a location, whether it's short-term rented or not, but has the legal authority to be a short-term rental, in my humble opinion, is worth more. It's a premium versus a place that has a short-term restriction. That's worth less. And yet, in today's world, that doesn't really happen. So the feel-good story is the people that are listening to this podcast are generally short-term rental (laughs) real estate investors. And I just want you to know that there's a really strong likelihood that at some point in the future, you will have a pop in price appreciation when calculations and valuations start to take into the fact that you have this really wonderful thing that the person across town or across the straight line does not. Now, just to be really clear, because I'm really on this uh, risk-reward theory uh, right now, I really want to uh, include risk elements in everything that we discuss. I think it's really prudent, while I'm very optimistic about the short-term rental market and the real estate market overall, I also want to point out that there is risk. So one of two things could happen. Either we could see a price appreciation in our portfolio because the assets that we've been collecting are worth more, so that would be a price appreciation. Boom, step up. But it's also possible that our prices are fair value and they don't go at all, and then things that don't have short-term rental uh, ability trade at a discount. So I don't know whether we're going to go up or others are gonna go down. Net net it's the same effect, except one puts more money in our pocket. So great. Right. Listen, you start talking about stuff and <laughs> I'll just keep going. <laughs> so what'd you think? <laughs> How's that?
0: Well, I mean, I could definitely say question asked and answer. There you go. I just can't remember what the question was. Um.
1: <laughs> but I think this is really, really uh, important stuff. And Absolutely. So as I think about the future and uh, as we discussed on some other podcasts, um, I'm in the process right now of really taking a look at... Uh, 1031 exchange and buying a bunch of different properties in a diversified area, obviously, all of them are going to be short term rented. And what I would basically say is anybody listening to this, if you're going to buy real estate, um, try and buy undervalued assets that will appreciate. So if short term rental, approval is not being factored in. That could be a uh, real estate asset that uh, does, in fact, appreciate. And then, of course, it, you know cash flows at a multiple of something that's long-term and or not able to be short-term. So right now, uh, where we sit in 2020, from my perspective, this is uh, great times to be a short-term rental investor, uh, low risk. Um, and lots of opportunity when done properly. And hopefully the people watching this podcast and watching the YouTube channel, and certainly those that are attending the live events or are participating in our mastermind events or doing the one-on-one consulting, like they get it. They're investing in themselves. They're being, um, forward thinking and taking advantage of this opportunity while it's here. And by the way, it's fleeting. Right. Right? If we have the same exact podcast 10 years from now, I guarantee you my sentiments are very different because the market will change.
0: Right. Right.
1: So it's a point in time. Yes. And we have to take advantage of it.
0: Yes. Strike while the iron's hot.
1: That's it. Drop a line and go fishing when the fish are biting.
0: Okay. There you go. So actually, um, that brings me to my next question. Or, you know, I should say what I would like to discuss with you further in regards to uh, 2020 Airbnb um, some new policies they have in place um, where basically they are taking a different look or a different stance on reviews. Mm.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, the thorn in many hosts' side. I fortunately have um, not had any. Need to go back to Airbnb and say this is a bogus review and can you take it down and so on and so forth. But if you participate in our Facebook group where we have about nineteen thousand hosts from all over the world, you can imagine that we've seen everything under the sun there.
0: Right. Um,
1: and so, if you're not in the Facebook group, you really ought to come over there. It's free. Nineteen thousand hosts asking all sorts of questions, advice, suggestions, tips, and right. so on. And so, I see there all the time hosts that are saying you know, this was an unfair review, and this person didn't check in, and this person's trying to, you know, like, uh, manipulate me and extort me to get the discount. or And, and the way that that's set up um, works really well in an environment of trust, but that requires two trusting parties. Right. As soon as somebody breaches the trust, then it's no longer a really good policy, and in fact it can be a really onerous policy. And so I think Airbnb, after hearing probably... Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of complaints. Hey, Guapo, quiet. Sorry, guys, but uh, Guapo wants a little more attention. Um, when when they've seen this many complaints, I think they've really started to look into it and tried to address what's a real review versus what's a fake review or a bad review. And you know, the challenge is, as a host, these reviews mean everything, right? It can be the difference between a really great uh, year if... You know, you get really good reviews and five-star reviews, or a really bad year if you're getting fake two-star and three-star reviews and people are trying to extort stuff from you. So it's it's not fair as a business owner right. if it's an undeserved review, and so Airbnb is trying to do something about it.
0: Right. Um, well, and I think what's also really interesting um, and beneficial for hosts is, um, so for example... Um, If a host is getting, you know, five and four star reviews pretty consistently, and then somebody drops a, you know, one, two, or three star review, um, that will prompt Airbnb to say, or prompt, you know, another Airbnb question saying, like, do you realize, you know, or is this this really what you're, you know, (laughs) almost like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to leave this review? Um, And I think by... Um, asking additional questions, and so, for example, which I think is huge, is um, on location. So, if basically somebody gives a lower star review based on you know the location, then you're they're prompted to answer you know, was it accurate? Was the It may not have been the most convenient, you know, or it may not have been where you believed it to be to the convention center or to X or to Y, but was it accurate in its description? Because that's essentially what we're wanting to know.
1: That's what Airbnb wants to know, Correct. right? Correct. So did the host um, provide clarity? Yes about the location and was it accurate and so like that's what they're actually trying to grade not so much what like is this a location that you'd recommend to a friend right right and so many people read the same question and interpret differently especially when you're dealing with you know a global economy and travelers from all over the world and different languages and so on like it can be lost in translation and so people were being penalized you know and I see this in the Facebook group time and time again they say in my listing I say that we're um, close to whatever, the convention center, and so it can be noisy and then somebody left a bad review and was like, right. the location's terrible, it's close to a convention center and it can be noisy. Right. But if they read the listing carefully, that was displayed there and so like they elected to do that. And you can't ding the host for that. But if they neglected to put that there altogether and somebody thought they were staying in a really quiet suburb and in fact they weren't, like, yeah time to reduce the, the rating. And then I think they're also doing, um, some things that, you know, I'm going to commend them, but I think they're long overdue. And so it's kind of like a, it should have happened a long time ago, but Mm -hmm. anything that has bias, uh, or, um, what was the other one? Uh, it's irrelevant. Right. Right. So, so like the example that Airbnb gave is if somebody cancels their trip, To stay in your Airbnb, so like they never step foot in your Airbnb, and by the way, it has nothing to do with the host or the host location or anything. Like, an airline cancels the flight, so the guest can't make it into your home. Right, and yet for whatever reason, the uh, theoretical guest leaves a review of your property and says negative things about it, like the couch is dirty or, you know, they weren't a friendly host, like. That's irrelevant and it's wrong and it's misleading and like right. that should have just never been allowed in the first place. Right. If I if there's a cancellation, there probably shouldn't be a review. Right. But um, for whatever reason, it was allowed and people were getting dinged on stuff like that. And Airbnb, in their wisdom, has said that that's not, you know, justified or allowed or appropriate. So now they're taking steps uh, to do that. I'd love to see them take even further steps and go back and find all of those instances and clear those up so that the hosts don't have as part of their permanent record of reviews or the number of stars and so on. And I don't know whether they'll do that or not. But look, this is all really great in the following sense. It's Airbnb finally realizing how important the hosting community is and the right. host satisfaction and hosts saying good things and hosts wanting to do this. Because without the host, they own no real estate. They've got absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, and I've been on record on the YouTube channel before saying that I believed Airbnb was guest-centric at the time. In order to scale, they were trying to get as many guests as possible. The reason they try and get as many guests as possible first is because where there is demand, supply will show up. Right. Vice versa does not exist. If you have tons of supply, lots of Airbnb hosts all over the world, that doesn't mean that any guests will demand an Airbnb. So they spent their time and energy in the right place, which is to drive demand bring more guests to the platform. And in doing so, they may have gone a little too far. You guys have heard me discuss time and time again about the pendulum. I think they may have gotten a little too guest-friendly, and now they're like, wait a minute, time to come back and be a little bit more host-friendly. And my gut tells me on a go-forward basis they'll become even more host-friendly, and they'll start to protect their hosts even more, especially as new... Well, not necessarily new, but bigger competitors are coming into the space like Booking.com and Expedia and Google is supposed to be coming into the space. And so what I predict will happen, and Charles, we should include this in my prediction video that we're going to film later today. What I predict will happen is that Airbnb is going to become more um, focused on the host and also trying to lock down that host in the Airbnb program. We've already seen early stage things with Airbnb Plus where if you're a member of Airbnb Plus, right. you can't list on any other platform. Right. So expect more of that. That's the shot across the bow. Friends, you heard it here first. Charles is smiling. Erica's laughing. And everyone listening is like, I don't know what's up with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but watch. Awesome. Time will tell.
0: I get it. I get it. I believe it. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, Let's take a question from one of our um, community members that called
1: in. Let's do it. Here we go.
2: Hi, Richard. Hi, Erica. This is Sammy Rogers. Hey, I just saw the um, uh, post about needing questions for the podcast, and I wondered if you could talk about uh, Facebook versus a website for marketing uh, the short-term rental. I don't have either right now. I know you guys have Host Saver, but I'm wondering what the pros and cons are to having a Facebook page or a website. I also left a question before. I haven't heard the podcast yet. I I need to go listen to podcasts. Um, I left one about marketing to businesses in the area. What's the best way to market to businesses? Um, I was thinking about having an open house from 11.30 to 1.30 on a weekday, and then the next week or two weeks later doing it on a different weekday, um, having a catered lunch, so that the plant manager, production manager, HR director, whomever can come and see. Um, Another one, I don't know if you've already done this, is uh, one night versus two night minimums. I know Richard's in favor of one night minimums. A lot of the hosts out there say only have a two night minimum. So those are a few questions. And um, thank you very much. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Sammy. And yes, you are correct. You really should be listening to the podcast. Yes. How else are you going to hear the answer to? Those are three questions, as best as I could tell. Right. One is Facebook versus a website. Yes. Um, Two is how to get corporate travelers uh, in in your community. Yep. And then the third one, the one that she just said, was one night versus two nights. Right. So your job, Erica, as I start to answer these things, is to remember questions one through three. Okay. Because I just, you know, I'll just go on a tangent here. Yes, yes. All right, so you got them?
0: So
1: I got them. she's em. on, we're going to hold her accountable. Right. Okay, here we go. Okay, so, the first so thing, starting out. Facebook versus a uh, website. Uh, the answer I would say to you is feel free to have both. Um, there's no reason that you shouldn't have both, but I think that um, they serve different purposes. I have plenty of... Uh, what I would call professional Facebook pages, so Richard Fertig has a professional page, Short Term Rental University has a professional page, um, I think Brilliant Transportation has a professional page, uh, I believe Host Saver has a professional page, Jackson Hole Dream Cars has a professional page, so I have many business professional pages which are distinct and apart for those of you who don't know versus like your personal profile. Um, I also have a personal profile on Facebook as well. But I also have websites for each of those businesses as well. Right. And I would say from my first hand experience, uh, they're very different. Facebook, I believe, is, um, you know, I kind of take the space on the Facebook page so that I have the domain name and I can do something with it in the future if it becomes prominent. But to be perfectly honest, we do almost zero business and zero transactions, very little engagement. In fact, um, Facebook really uses those pages to promote advertising. They stop doing organic. So like whatever you have in your Facebook professional page is likely not seen by anybody unless you promote it via ads and you pay Facebook to promote it. And or you give somebody that direct listing and they go there. That said, um, the website's very different. You know, a website's kind of like a storefront and it's very business and it's very corporate. And people go to websites to transact. People go to websites to spend money. People go to websites to to learn and become educated. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, Facebook is more of a social sort of culture, platform, environment. And people, generally speaking, on Facebook are... um, trying to get away from corporate and work and they're trying to relax and unwind and see like their nieces and nephews and post photos of their pets and stuff. So in my personal opinion, they've got different purposes, but I would encourage you to have both. And I would also say that um, your second question, which is how do you get corporate clients and how do you, um, share with them that you're available and you've got a great Airbnb in their location for plant managers and visiting people and so on and so forth. And, you know, if we just think about what I just said in context of the second question, I think if you went to that corporate environment and said, come check out my Facebook page, they would immediately think less of you versus if you said, here is my corporate website. Right. Right. Um, and doesn't mean that they won't transact with you or don't right. think your home is lovely and so right. on. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, you know, when you take a look at business cards, business brochures, advertisements on TV, um, anywhere, the the norm today is a website. It is not a Facebook page. Right. And um, Facebook pages are, you know, I think a way for Facebook to gain ad share more than. A place to conduct commerce. Now that could change. Facebook is extremely um, nimble and fast-growing and innovative, and so on. And that's why I would encourage you to have both. Right. But I think you mentioned uh, the one-click solution that we have, HostZaver, and um, you know that's a really great way to get started on a website. Websites are very expensive to produce on your own there's tons of decisions there's graphic and design and you know like we've made it so that anybody who does want to take their own business into their own hands and either supplement or move off these platforms or going on to what we were saying you know if your business was damaged uh, due to some deleterious false reviews, you're held hostage, and that's why I encourage you to diversify. We filmed another podcast talking about diversification. You should be at at least two platforms, if not three platforms, and you should also have your own website so that at the end of the day, you have total control. Like nobody's going to control your business on your website except you. Right. You are if you're on the Airbnb platform the VRBO platform, the booking platform, the Expedia platform, you are beholden to somebody else right. and their decision making about their algorithms and where to show you up in your search. Right. Right. And so like other people are potentially adversely affecting your business and the opportunity set whereas having your own website, you have full control. You can do anything you want or not want and so it's just a great way to go and I, I for one, I'm a huge fan of HostSaver. We've got dozens or hundreds of people up on it right now. We just, I I think today is like the actual launch. It's been sort of like this soft launch and people signed up in in Nashville and then, uh, on a wait list, and so like it's going Beautiful. incredibly well. Bookings are happening every single day. It connects to Stripe. So we at Hosaver, we don't touch your money. We don't want any of your banking details. There's absolutely no uh, way that we can influence or manipulate your business. Once again, you're in charge of it. So you create your own Stripe account, and I believe Hardik uh, has it now integrated with PayPal. Um, But that's your Stripe account, that's your PayPal account, and those get directed into your bank account. And we neither touch the money, nor want any credentials, nor any logins. We want nothing to do with it. So it really is just a great way for you to create with one click. All you do is you copy and paste your uh, Airbnb URL or your um, HomeAway or VRBO URL, And then we go in and we get all of your photos and all of your copy. You pick your own template, and it's a great way to do it. And, in fact, Hardik shared with me, and he's, thank you, Hardik. He's, uh, I was going to say cute and adorable, but that sounds, you know, inappropriate. (laughs) But it was very uh, endearing. How about that? He shared with me the social good of HostSaver uh, last night. And what he shared with me was we had somebody sign up for HostSaver. Mm -hmm. They cut and pasted the URL, and it said that the URL was not found. Airbnb did not recognize its own URL. And so Hardik was troubleshooting it with them. And what he discovered was when the host was logged into Airbnb, that URL worked. When he logged out of his Airbnb account and cut and paste that URL, which is visible to the public, it was not recognized. So what Hardick told this individual to do was to contact Airbnb support and let him know, let them know, that his public URL was being blocked. So he, here's a case in point, not through Airbnb's desire, but just the outcome resulted in this individual's uh, listing not showing up. Wow. Unless people were logged into Airbnb. So this hosts trying to grow their business doing everything right. right was actually a part of some airbnb related bug that hardick discovered through this tool and he was all excited it was really endearing and he was trying to express to me what a great social good this was and you know i shared that enjoyment but i'm hopeful that it was really you know few and far between like i said we've had i don't know hundreds of people i think at this point sign up right and this is the first time we saw it but that makes a huge difference for that one totally absolutely right? like now his or her listing is going to show up as intended on the Airbnb platform, and maybe their bookings are gonna increase significantly. Like, we don't know. But in the meantime, they're on Host Saver, and they're in control of their own business, and so, like, that worked out really well. Um, And so, I say, Sammy, you should have both. You should experiment with both, but realize that if you're going to go speak to corporations, and that was your question, um, I would encourage you on all of your printed matter and on all of your communication, not to share with them your Facebook Page, but rather your website. Right.
0: Right. And um, what are your thoughts on one or two day minimums?
1: Ah, and the third question. Bravo, Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Bossy, bravo. <laughs> um, so it's a very personal preference, and I'm not going to suggest that one is better than the other unless you adhere to the following. If you are doing this for financial gain, financial reward, income, Money, however you want to state it, right? Then there's no question that one-day minimums are the way to go. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that um, I think your business should be built around one-night minimums, or that one-night minimums uh, are going to really revolutionize your profitability. In fact, I have very few one-night minimums. Right. Right. But at the end of the day, it affects your calendar. So if you require a two-night stay, um, you're just limiting the number of people that your place will be served up for, right? And for me, I always want to be shown in all the search results. If somebody wants a one-night pay, a one-night stay rather, that's all profit, right? I have my systems and my operations and my cleaning team and everything so buttoned up and so automated that if somebody wants to come in and place a few hundred dollars on my lap, I want to take that. And by the way, my cleaning lady wants more cleaning, and so like it just makes all the sense right. in the world. Right. Now, for one night stays, we screen the guests pretty well. We want to make sure that they're not right. Not pretty well. Very well. Exceptionally well. Right. Um, and we take our time and we ask more questions and we want to make sure it's the right person staying for one night. But as I shared uh, on a YouTube video when we got when we were in Miami, remember. We, got, uh, we had to leave that place because there was yes. road noise and yes. road construction yep. and it was a very valid reason that we were trying to film podcasts and videos. There was uh, the asphalt on the sidewalk by the city or the town was being busted up and there was all sorts of heavy machinery and it wasn't quiet and certainly wouldn't have served our business need to be right. in that Airbnb and film stuff and so we had to leave and so consequently we looked for another Airbnb and that's a prime example. We were less price sensitive than anything else. Right. We just wanted to a great alternative lodging environment. We would have paid whatever it costs, and in fact, we did. We paid double or triple, and we went right. to like a three-bedroom and some Ritz-Carlton tower, and right. that person, you know, benefited from the fact that they had a lower uh, restriction. So, the more restrictions you put on it you know, the less business you will conduct. Now, you might feel more comfortable in your own business saying, well, I don't want this, and I don't want that, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. I'm just saying, the more you don't want, the less you'll actually get. Right. Right? So if you just open it up and you're completely flexible and say, I'll accept one night stays, and my business is buttoned up, and my cleaning teams do want more business, you are just going to show up in more uh, results. Your calendar's more free. Um, and you could find yourself, you know, getting repeat business, right? If right. somebody comes and stays for one night just because they were passing through, but they absolutely love your place, they may come and book again. Right. And if you have your own website through Host Saver, they might book directly through you, and then they save money, and you save money, and there's less fees, and you develop ultimately a relationship with your guests, which is what you ultimately want in this right. short-term rental business right now. Uh, in 2020, it's very anonymous and it's very uh, platform centric. The goal for us hosts, just to be really clear, is to own those relationships, develop those relationships, know who's staying in your home, because then you avoid all of the craziness and all of the parties and all of the bad stuff, right? right? Like if you know and you've had a good experience and, you know, if you take a look at vacation rentals for decades now, what tends to happen in the vacation rental market is uh, Charles's family, Erica's family, or Richard's family, whatever, we all go to the same. In my case, it was the Hamptons. In Charles's case, he went to the OBX. In your case, maybe you guys went to Lake Tahoe or whatever. But people take family vacations around summer vacations, around school vacations. Right. They go and they find a cottage, a house, a bungalow, a lake house, or whatever that they really like. They're really comfortable there. It suits all of their needs, the price point as well. And then what you want to do is have those same great guests love your great home, and come year after year after right. year after year. And that's exactly what I did in the Hamptons, that which was my first place that I ever owned for rental income. We were thrilled when we had the same family book with us three years, four years, five years, six years in a row. Right. Right? Because we knew our house was in good hands, we knew that they weren't troublemakers, we knew that we had a great working relationship. They knew exactly what they were getting. They'd been there before, they know we're great hosts. And so like that's ultimately where we want to go. And it takes out all of that like Anonym, anonym, anonymity thank you <laughs> and it also takes out the variability and the concern and it takes out the, just the transactional nature of it right, right. Like, it's pure on, on airbnb i have no relationship with anybody who stays in my house i could have more contact with them more back and forth maybe more questions but like there's no real relationship right it's just you know like transactional it's anonymous it's it's fleeting, it's nothing of value, there's no lasting value. Right. But if you create a business where you um, turn your guests into raving fans and they want to come back and they want to tell more people and they share your host saver website with their friends, family, co-workers and tell other people how great your cottage is, your place in the city, whatever, like that's how you start to build a book of business and in an ideal world, which, you know, will take work just to be direct. If you were able to transact and be at your desired occupancy and generate as much income as you wanted without the variability, without the uncertainty, without the anonymity. 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 um, Then I think you would be a happier host and and, um, with more certainty and so on, right? And so that's the goal, but you can't do that if you don't have your own website. Right. Right. so anyway, I think I've answered Sammy's questions. Absolutely. Am I missing yes, anything?
0: I don't think so. I think no? you nailed it. Thorough. That. Absolutely. Awesome. Very. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So,
1: if anybody wants to learn more, go to host HostZaver with a Z. We'll include a link in the description. Yeah. www.hostzaverwithaz.com. Check out the landing pages. There's right now four or five templates you can pick and choose one that's in, so easy. more it's in your so like beautiful. style and yeah, the way that you awesome. want. And it's really. Um, It's amazing the technology that Hardik has put together to make it so that it's like literally one click. And whether you're technology savvy or not, you have your own really professional website that you can share with any corporation that you're going to to try and um, get their project managers and so on to stay. Actually, I'm going to drill down on that a little bit more. Um, I think, Sammy, to answer your question, I think it's a really good idea. I'm just not sure how effective it's going to be and whether it's a good use of your time or your resources to have catered lunches and invite people. Uh, If you do it and people come, then I think it's really wonderful. But I don't know that people that are really busy and, um, you know, uh, that a lunch is going to be enough to get them to leave their environment and come check it out or if housing is that necessary that they can't just like put people up in the hilton uh, i think it's a really good idea and i think it's really creative and i want to encourage you to keep thinking outside the box and build your own book of business and so on but i think um you may find that the people that you're going to see aren't quite as excited about the idea as you are
0: right or what i would also suggest is um instead of asking them, not that it would be an inconvenience, but instead of asking them to leave their environment, to come and see the place, if you have, you know, professionally... website. If you have the website, if you have professional pictures taken, you know, then basically what you can do is, um, you know, if you so choose, you can take a plate of cookies and, you know, a business card or something like that that's been drawn up, a pamphlet that you can drop off, you know, saying, here's my website, check it out, Um, give this to your HR department, give this to your receptionist, give this to, you know, whoever it is that books, you know... uh, housing for people that are visiting uh but then that way you're not asking anything of them outside of you know
1: their little bit of time and attention.
0: absolutely yeah. absolutely um, but yet you've you know you've put forth the effort you've created a, a connection and a relationship um and you know you've provided them with with the information so that they can so that they can find you but even more so even more importantly um yeah get that website because then you've got something to deliver to them, where they don't have to, you know, they don't have to step away. They can, they all they it. All they have to do is look it up.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I love the idea, and, and totally, and, it's a great you know, idea. You could be, you could be totally on to something, and I could be totally wrong. I mean, I'm no, you know, expert on that, but I do think um, the more thought and energy you put into creating your own book of business right. through your own website, the more you will be rewarded. Absolutely. Right. Right. And. Um, that, that dream scenario that I just expressed where you could be at 60, 70, 80% occupancy with repeat guests that have been on your uh, in your home that you know take care of your home, that you know aren't problems, that you know aren't disturbing you in the middle of the night, that you know know how to get into your home. Like, all that stuff that is actually kind of challenging in the short-term rental space right. can go away.
0: Right. And I have absolutely no doubt that Sammy is an
1: amazing
0: amazing
1: host. Absolutely. <laughs> now, she's not that great at listening to the podcast. She's not that great at listening, but she's an amazing host. And she's an amazing Facebook contributor.
0: Yes. She's all about it. She's exactly. all about it. She makes me smile quite Thank frequently. you so
1: much, Sammy. I really appreciate yes. the questions. Yes, yes. And um, I would encourage all of the people listening or watching the podcast to call us because we are committed to doing this. We yes. love your questions. We want to meet you where you are. We don't want to guess what's important or relevant to you. Right. We'd Nothing's off the it.
0: table. Yeah. I mean, you can ask questions about your STRs, about, um, you you can direct questions to me uh, specifically, to Richard specifically, um, to us as a couple. Uh, Yeah, I mean, regarding travel, regarding health, regarding, I mean, you name
1: it. Nothing is off the table, but you do have to pick up the telephone and leave a voicemail. Yes. And the number to call is 206-900-8189. I'm going to repeat it. 206-900-8189. that's the short-term rental university podcast dial in hotline your questions <laughs> our <laughs> answers all right awesome <laughs> all right i think that's a wrap friends yes. thank you very much too fun see you next week yeah all thank right. you there's, thank there's, you thank you sweetie thank you charles
2: so that does it for another episode of the stru podcast
1: As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. Be
2: sure to check out str.university. Till next time.